Hi, I'm Kira Brick-Hurek. And I'm Nicole Breeden. And you're listening to ProPrac, a podcast where we explore the professional practice of artists and hear their stories. Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining us on ProPrac today. Today, we have another interview via phone with Salotti Tuwali. Salotti Tuwali was born in Suva, Fiji Islands and grew up in the southeastern suburbs of Melbourne, Australia, and is now based in Sydney. Tuwali has been a lecturer and tutor in photo media and studio practice at Monash University, Deakin Universities, the University of Sydney, and the University of New South Wales. Tuwali has developed and taught various workshops for schools and community groups over the past 20 years. From the perspective of her Indigenous Fijian and Anglo-Australian heritage, Tuwali explores the identity of the individual within collective systems. Examining through self-performance the idea of translocated indigeneity that is removed from the land and traditional practices, Tuwali draws on personal experience of race, class, ethnicity and gender formed by growing up in suburban Australia. Hey Salati, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, Do you want to kick it off by letting us know how you got to where you are today? Hi Kira, hi Nicole. Um, through sheer determination. (laughs) (laughs) I I started off, I was really interested in art at school, but I never thought that I would become an artist. And then I almost went blind in my final two years of school Mm. and it kind of prompted me to just maybe do the things that I want to do. Wow. And so... I went to photography school to start with for a couple of years Mm -hmm. and then I, and it was a kind of like a cert certificate kind of situation or Mm -hmm. maybe it was just, I don't know if you got any qualifications, but I um, then applied to go to media arts at RMIT Mm -hmm. and they had a program of uh, fine art photography, uh, animation, sound, video, uh, I feel like there's one more, and I just really kind of after doing photography school for three years, it was just really great to mess it up by making some video. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and actually at that time I was introduced by uh, Dominic Redfern, who was my video teacher, to the feminist artists of the 60s and 70s and... Uh, especially from like, America, mm-hmm. and that that kind of performative video, and they were all women, and I remember watching them and feeling really uncomfortable. But I kept continuing to go to the library and watch the videos, and I think I wore the VHS tape out mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> because I was like, it just made me super uncomfortable. I was yeah. like, this can't be an art work because, like, you know, I didn't know that anything could be an artwork until mm-hmm. then, I guess. Mm. And then from there I ended up doing a master's at RMIT by coursework and I really wanted to concentrate on installation so that the video works that I, were ma- I was making, um, that the video wouldn't be the only experience in the installation, like everything would have as equal importance. So that's what I kind of focused on. To, and kind of looking at the materiality of my works and how they might relate to my own heritage mm. and it, from an, like an Australian settler colonial um, perspective but also like a Fijian perspective as well. 
And then I was like just being an artist in Melbourne for I don't know how long. And I was like, I've got to get out of this town. I've got to try being an artist (laughs) in another city. (laughs) And I was really interested, like for about five years, every now and then I would visit Sydney. I was just interested in the kinds of artists that were practising in Sydney, like performance and video and people who were specifically making work this about similar things to me, like diaspora existence, being from here and being from somewhere else. Yeah. So that's then I went to Sydney and actually I've had a really great time being an artist in Sydney. There's been a lot of possibilities afforded to me here. That's great. You've also been teaching alongside your practice as well, haven't you? I think it's a really great accompaniment. I, really, I enjoy all kinds of teaching. So I teach in university theory and studio subjects, but I also, you know, do uh, workshops for community groups. Yeah. Um, and they're all kind of really different. Like the workshops are more tailored to the group and the type of people who are in those groups. And I really get a lot out of that. It's a it's a really nice exchange for me. And so is teaching in a university context as well. Mm. I just think it's hard to be an artist and only an artist and only have the art world around you. So if there's other kind of ways to, um, I guess, connect to mm. people of other interests, that can only um, enhance what you're making and the way you're making those things. Totally. I think that's so spot on. I think it's really important to be able to either have a job or family or something that's outside of the arts to make sure that you're, um, you know, making something of interest to the broader spectrum of the art world uh, rather than just the art world, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you've got to be having experiences outside. I mean, a lot of the things that I think about in making an installation really relate to experiences I've had in the world. Mm. Mm. It's just like even um, artists that are, you know, super, super successful still have a teaching, you know, aspect to their career where they're sort of, you know, kind of engaging with students and, you know, through through teaching and through being a part of that kind of process. So, mm, mm. Yeah. yeah. I think sometimes you need a break from it, but mm. that's like everything, <laughs> you know. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, so uh, you touched on... You touched on a few things in there, but um, have there been any um, kind of challenges that you have sort of had to overcome to continue practising, um, yeah, throughout your career? I think there's a, I mean, uh, to still be practising five, ten years after finishing art school is a mm. really big feat. If you can get that far, it's sort of, I think the art world is slow, like it's very... There's lots of fads that happen. Mm-hmm. You know, things are fashionable and then they're not fashionable. You're also, you know, funding. Like I'm often talking to artists about funding. You're either you're either working a lot and you've got no studio time, mm-hmm. but you can afford that studio, or you're not working, but you're feeling a bit uh, scared about how you're going to pay your bills. You yeah. know. And then there's the family, like, you know, all your, all my cousins uh, have had really good jobs for a long time. They holiday in France once a year or something like that, you know, <laughs> sort of, um, well, that's just one side of my family. But, you know, there's, there isn't the same kind of 
levels of success that other industries have. Yeah. Like you don't climb the ladder in the art world. You just like work hard and, you know, apply for as many possibilities as you can. M- create your own possibilities. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's mm-hmm. one of the biggest challenges, like creating your own possibilities or find there's so much out there that you actually have to look for as opportunities. Mm. I think we were just talking about writing applications. It's interesting that's like one of those things, like you can spend a week writing an application on and off, getting your support letters, but essentially you put it into a lotto draw because there's, you know, 150 Mm. other applications. Totally. There's so many variables in there too. You know, sometimes on applications at the end they have like a survey about how the application process goes and they're like, tell us how long, you know, it's like how easy was this form to fill in? And you're like, yeah, it was like pretty easy or whatever. But then it's like how many hours did you spend on this application? And I just put one in and it was a collaboration project with a friend of mine. And I was like, how do I put down how many hours this has taken the phone calls, both of us working separately on it, both of us then coming back together to talk about it. Like, do you really want to know how many hours this is? Because it would be horrifying. I think you should be realistic about it. Well, I tried to say a four-week process of collaboration and then I, like, came back with the little red, like, asterisk next to it that was, like... Hours. Yeah, you have to stay in hours. So then I kind of, like, was calculating it because I was like, oh, God, if I actually put down, like, the number of hours, it kind of seemed like they wouldn't, they would be like, oh, that's a typo. But it's like sometimes some, even a really simple application can take a really long time to prepare for. You know, one thing I find hard in those applications too is where if you're applying for, to pay yourself for your own hours, taking on board Mm. the NAVA rates, you, it ends up being, if you actually did it exactly to the number rates, that would be half to three quarters of the grant money yeah. should go to that. 100%. And also not not to mention like you're writing about the amount of hours that you're going to spend on this project and you've already spent how many hours writing the application mm-hmm. and was, how many hours talking about your own value. Yes. <laughs> oh. Oh, I was having this exact conversation with a friend. She like works in the arts um, but isn't an artist but has been applying for jobs and was talking about the job application process and how each time she writes an application for a job, she's kind of envisaging herself within that role and how much kind of vested um, energy you put into an application beyond the actual application itself. Mm. And she was like, oh, you probably feel the same when you're putting together grants. And I was like, yeah, but it's even worse because we sit down and have to do detailed budgets and you're there looking up the accommodation of the place that you're going to stay. You're looking up how much the local transport is. Like you get so vested in oh, like that what... that place looks nice. You yeah. Can stay there. <laughs> yeah. But like you, you really build a picture of what that's going to be and then, you know how many times out of 10 that ends up just being like another application that goes like, you know, denied. But but it, that's why I think you should like definitely, if you're writing, working on a project like that, you use all of that labour and put another application in. Oh, yeah. Because if you <laughs> don't, do you, you know what I mean? You're like doing yourself yeah. a disservice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, my, my number one kind of rant at the moment is about email the, the sort of required, um, you know, uh, labour that is required 
to, for artists to reply and respond to emails all the time from institutions. Yeah. And so all the people write, you know, all the curators, all the people working in those institutions are paid for their time to write us emails. Um, but the artists, of course, don't ever get to sort of like extract that, you know, um, labour, the, you know, the, the the sort of, yeah, investment in that labour. We never get yeah. that back. We're never going to see anything from that. And it's like I, I really – I wish there was some way that I could figure out how – to communicate this that, you know, asking every email that you write to an artist is asking them to work for free. Mm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's true. But I think also um, with that kind of stuff, it's hard when you have that labour and then the like say if it's an artist statement because they're going to write something and they it almost like cut and paste what you said and it's like mm. what what would be less labour for me is if you rang me and we had a conversation yeah. about mm. it and then you read it. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's true. I think also, but maybe that's the way to view um, an arts practice is that it's a small business. Yes. So you, like, your time, that needs to go into your, like, costs somewhere. Yeah. Well, I think if we were getting paid those NAVA rates, I think that would sort of, <laughs> yeah, you know, that would level I, it out. <laughs> I think our artist fees are where they, like, chip bits off the budget anyway mm-hmm. most of the time. Yeah. Like, oh, okay, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> it's also confusing, though, because some places, like, demand that you have an artist fee and other places won't pay the artist fee and you have to kind of be sourcing that from elsewhere. So it can be really confusing as well. Like, uh, are you allowed to ask for this? Aren't you allowed? Like, sometimes it's really... Like oh, stuff some places it. will reject your application if you yeah. haven't put in adequate artist fees. Mm. Yeah. I think you should always ask. I think you yeah. should always ask too if, like, in a situation where somebody sends you an email about something, you sh- you're well within your rights to ask as many questions as you like. Or you're mm. also well within, like, we hardly ever say no, That's but it's true. okay to say no. If mm. it's not right, it's mm. not right. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe early on in your career, you say yes to more things because you yep. need them. And yes. and I mean, I'm not saying that I don't need them anymore, but mm-hmm. I just think if some like you have to feel like you're valued within the process yeah. mm-hmm. because you've given up so many other things. Yeah, like holidays in Bali, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of our other artists, um, I think that was uh, something that came up in one of the other interviews that it was like, you know, the first. The first five to ten years of your career, you say yes to everything, and then after that, you say no to everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it depends how that five years mm-hmm. have gone, though. Yeah. <laughs> mm. um, just touching on something you said earlier about moving to Sydney and um, having new possibilities happen there. Do you think there's like was there some challenges you had to face in moving to Sydney, or has it alleviated other challenges that you were facing in Melbourne, working within Melbourne Art World, or? Yeah, I think, um, you know, you can get really comfortable within your art scene or mm. uncomfortably comfortable or something. Um, I feel like in Melbourne it was, like, a little bit easier to for me to actually be an artist because I guess the city and the rents and everything was a little bit cheaper and I had, like, uh, established community from, like, my days in art school Mm. but also I like had been practicing for maybe uh six 
or se- well, it must have been longer, maybe six or seven years with no institutional shows. I'd had shows in small institutions and artist-run spaces and I just sort of envisioned that being probably the way. And also my funding applications didn't really go anywhere. I mean, that was, I think, a number of things. One was that I was really bad at writing them back then. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Like, I just didn't understand the importance of, like, really... Well, I didn't really think about the process, how mm. somebody's reading all of those. Uh-huh. And yeah. also, like, when they give you the guidelines to grant writing, that's pretty much telling you how to write it, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, but also when I moved, I just felt like I needed to shake something up. Mm. And I moved to Sydney because of the arts, kind of arts practices there and that it would be a different city. But it did mean that I had, even though I had a few friends there, that I had to make new networks of like professional networks and friendship networks like art friends and that kind of stuff so that was a challenge Mm. um but actually I've been really fortunate to be a part of some really like cool communities here in Sydney that's great um and also like to like really think about how and it's actually through those networks and through uh like learning how to properly write a grant application, you know. Mm. <laughs> so, um, and also having people, because I think if I may make a note about grants, is like you do need to give it to somebody to read. Mm. Even someone who might annoy you, like your mum. <laughs> Though I, I never give it to my mum because she's like, oh, what is this for? <laughs> Are you naked? Um, but... Uh, but they, like it does need to be read by someone who, who to see if they get it because yeah. um, I don't know you're in your own head when you write it and yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, but I had to learn that. How did you? How, what was your process of actually getting better at writing grants? Did you sort of, you know, um, get any professional advice, or was there a process, or did you just sort of like you know force yourself to? just do them a lot and get better that way? um, I think uh, basically I'd go through like five drafts or something. That's how bad I was um, (laughs) of like trying to make things make sense. But I had a few friends along the way who actually sat with me a few times or would take it away and like basically what I needed to hear um, from my writing was that I wasn't writing just nothing. It was like there was something in that. I just needed to be clear in how I delivered that information. Mm. And so um, it was really just learning about being more succinct Mm -hmm. and thinking about another what it's like for another person to read that grant. Yeah, I think it's it's hard as well because you know your own work so well and it might make sense in the context of your practice but for an outsider who hasn't got any clue about what you're making or what you've done before, sometimes they would, you know, I know looking back at some of the grants that I've submitted, like, God, I really didn't articulate myself very well. I, know. <laughs> I like, want to apologise about that. All the people <laughs> had to Sorry read for them. wasting all your time. <laughs> yeah. They get paid. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> also, the other thing is, like, you do, if you don't get it, you do need to ask for feedback. Mm. Like, you need to know what it was because sometimes... You wrote a great grant, but so did 17 other people. Yeah. 
Mm. Yeah. So, like, that's, that's not your fault. Yeah, totally. And that's really helpful to hear when you're, if you're feeling really low about it as well. Yeah, totally. It's not, yeah. yeah, it's nothing that you wrote or, um, yeah. So moving on to a bit of a funny question, um, and you can really answer this in any way that you like, but what does a successful practice mean to you? Oh, you know, that's changed throughout the years. Um, I think, you know, when you're in art school, when you start art school from uh, high school, I mean, I see it, I teach first year Mm. as well. It's like this idea of what an artist is is like totally different to then when you leave art school and then you've got to relearn again what that might be. I mean, I always, uh, I think, after I realised how hard it was going to be, so that might have been like just finishing undergraduate, Mm -hmm. um, I guess I had these little mini milestones of like I did want my arts practice to pay for itself Mm -hmm. for starters, Um, you know, little things like that. I just think the opportunity to do projects to not exhaust yourself trying to fund those projects on your own. Yeah. Um, to be able to move forward as a maker and make things that I never thought I could make or never ever knew that I wanted to make. That's like, that's successful to me. But it's success is such a funny word because mm. it's it's a word that comes from I guess, our colonial settler narrative. It's a word that comes from um, like a capitalist society. Yeah. Mm. Like actually success does sound like it's hugely related to finances. And mm, yeah. And the, the truth is I, have, I like the way you asked that question is like what does that mean to you? Because mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of art practices out there that aren't full-time art practices. It's people just wanting to make something. Mm. Yeah, and mm. that's successful in its own way. Like if it's, well, I don't know, for me it's yeah. like if it's fulfilling you, even at some days it might not fulfil you and it could very much frustrate you. But I think um, someone... It was Jude Walton, who's a dancer, said this about it was about a movement practice and I had gone through a workshop with her and she was answering a question to someone about how to start like a dance practice and she was like, this is what you do. You find whatever place, that, like whatever thing that you want to study, you find a studio really close to your house that you can get to easily and then you go for at least four days a week for a couple of years and after a few years that's a practice a practice is something a way of being within your like your body your movement whatever and I think that that's really similar with an arts practice it's a way of thinking it's a way of moving through the world it's a way of interacting with people and when you've trained yourself you kind of are within your practice constantly because the lens in which you view the world has been shaped by the way of making art. So I feel like... Forever. Yeah, which sometimes can be really fucking frustrating because you can't enjoy things maybe as superficially as you might want to at sometimes or you can't turn off or detach to have some downtime. But I do think you... Um, and saying this as well, like on a little bit of a side note, I think it's important to be able to separate your sense of self-worth from your practice so that you don't end up just feeling terrible and shit every time you get a rejection letter or something bad happens or you don't get invited to be in whatever group show. Um, But I do think you do begin to live your practice. 
it's hard not to separate your own self-worth from your practice because, like, generally most people make work about how they see the world. Mm. So It's so, like, tied, like, so connected to you. But it is true. You have to be able to separate it, mm-hmm. like, on many different occasions, like, um, you know, when you're writing a grant, for instance, which is what we've already talked about, mm-hmm. or, like, when you're getting some, like, critique, which is super valuable, and those kind of conversations about things that maybe someone might not understand what you're doing or it might not just be their thing. You've just got to be able to be like, yeah, okay, man, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not everyone's going to like what you do. That's okay. That's It's true. Yep. Yeah. Um, hmm. So you can't please all the people all the time. You know, my mum still says to me, like, oh, you should, like, take some of those landscapes you used to take down <laughs> my to the local exactly frame shop. My mum does exactly the same thing. <laughs> you're like, Mum! My mum's like, like my really? tree's taking another path. <laughs> I was like, those collages and watercolours, I just wish you did more of them. Yeah. Everyone loves them when they come over. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, see, cool. there you go. You're getting Make people com- commenting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm working on this, like, really, like, conceptual work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so serious. Yeah. <laughs> she must just be, like, rolling her eyes at me while I'm rolling Changing home. the world, Mum. <laughs> yeah. 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 Just do talk to me. I need a minute alone. <laughs> I'm processing. Um, so uh, I'll move on to the next question. Um, this is actually my favourite question that's come to be, but um, what, is it, what does your practice look like? Uh, like if you can walk us through like a, a day in the life of Salotti uh, and tell us how you kind of structure your day or your week. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. Um, that's putting it on the line, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> we want all the gory details. I usually, uh, if I go on a week, I usually like to teach only twice or potentially three times in a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, if possible, I like them to exist at one end of the week. Um, so often I'll try and teach, like, say, Monday, Tuesday or Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then I can have for my practice... Wednesday, Thursday, Friday and Saturday if I need it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of administration that goes into having an arts practice uh, and I try to get as much of that done either at the beginning or the end of the day because I want to make enough room for making stuff mm-hmm. um, or making mistakes <laughs> or like lying down on the couch and thinking about what it is I'm trying to do. Sometimes Mm -hmm. if I just change my position from uh, upright to horizontal or I go for a walk, that can really help me out. Mm. Um, I usually like to set out what I might do in that week. Like I know that can change, but if I'm working on a series or researching something or, you know, I'll try and have that, know that I'm going to do that before I go into the studio because mm-hmm. if I don't, I'll just kind of stand around for a, it could be a long time trying to work out what it is I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what else do I, I – I try to have ice cream breaks mm-hmm. on studio days just to um, think about what I've been doing. I try to leave the studio because you can get kind of a bit caught up 
if you're not careful. Totally. Um, so it's interesting. This question comes at a time where, like, yesterday and today, except for going to visit the gallery in the current show that I'm in for, like, 20 minutes, are the first times that I've taken two consecutive days off, except I realise now I'm talking to you. But that's definitely <laughs> work. That's true. That's work. Um, but, um, but actually... I was going to the studio almost every day Mm. Um, because I have this, at the moment I'm in an art space studio, art space Sydney. So it's a residency for 12 months. The studio is free. It's a large studio and I don't want to waste that opportunity because like next year I could be in a garage, you know, or like I don't, I've got space to do things and I've just come from an Australia Council residency for six months in London and I did a lot of test works for about five series, like three painting series and a photographic series and anyhow. Mm -hmm. My point is like right now I try to get into the studio as much as possible and I always try at least um, of those studio days that if I'm not sure what I'm going to do, I do lots of prep works, so little kind of like beadings for something. So if I don't know what something's going to turn out like, maybe I've got to do a few like paintings mm-hmm. or drawings or to do that. So I try to do that in the beginning if something bigger is coming up by the end of the week that I need to finish. Yeah. Um, is that? I guess I went from a broader structure to... Um, I try not to make my studio time like nine to five. I was trying to do that and then I realised mm. it's like I can make it whatever I want. It can <laughs> yep. be ten to seven, you know, like um, so I just I do have like if I'm going to have a studio day, I have to be there at least six hours Yeah, is my thing. Do yep. you try and not bring any studio stuff home with you or any admin home with you and just deal with it when you're in your studio hours? Um, to be honest, the admin's the thing I hate doing in the studio. So if anything mm. that comes home with me. Yeah. yeah. And I have brought home stuff to do from the studio. Like I was making these uh, hanging paintings with like adornments on them. Mm-hmm. But the thing I found is that I was already spending, I think there's a plane going over. That's okay. Sydney. <laughs> Oh, okay. Oh, the thing is, I'll go back to my sentence. <laughs> the thing is, like, I would probably be spending like eight, nine hours and then go to bring something home and yep. not do it because I was exhausted. Yeah. So, and that doesn't, like, every week's not the same, you know, like, some weeks I'll be doing hardly anything yep. in the days. I'm just trying to make it prep for the times that I really yeah. are going to be hard. Sure. Mm. You know? And do you, um, have you noticed that your, you know, your productivity or your mood or, you know, the way, the, has, it, has it changed for you um, changing the times of going to the studio? Like instead of going from like nine to five, you know, has it, has it given you a little bit more flexibility? You know, I don't know. What, what's changed basically from changing your kind of hours? My my attitude to them, yeah. Mm. I guess what's changed is that like I had I had to give myself a break. Yeah. Most people um, have to have a job and to uh, attach to their studio time. It's not like we're not all working hard. Mm-hmm. 
And so, like, but sometimes I'll need a break and I'll need to do two days of just, like, reading or something like that, you know. And so I just, I think I was trying to give myself a bit of a break. Yeah. Because when I finish a series of works, I'm like, I forget that it took so much to get to them. Mm-hmm. And so I think, oh, I'm just going to launch into the next one. And I can actually, just keep going like this forever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's actually, you have to do a whole lot of crappy things and mistakes yeah. at the beginning of that. And mm-hmm. if you forget that that's going to happen, you can get feel a bit down about it. It's like, mm. oh, how am I getting, like, I can't make anything right now. What's wrong with me? You know, whereas if that's, if you recognize that's part of the process. And some days you might need to not go in until 11. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you'll need to stay till 9 yep. or 11, you know? Totally. Mm-hmm. Um, I noticed that you left Sunday off your week. Do you do you schedule in a day off on Sunday or do you do anything special on Sundays or you just didn't get around to talking about it? I try to. If I teach on Mondays, it's sort of a bit hard not to do some work. Yeah. But I also just for the health of my relationships. hmm yeah, my relationship mm-hmm. is—it's just sort of like I need to. Um, we need to have time, but mm. that also depends on other people. But I do like to do something on Sunday, like yum cha or mm-hmm. nice. do you know what I mean? Yeah. Something where yeah. it's like, oh, I really actually feel like I'm not doing work right now. Yeah, oh, that sounds fun. Now yeah. I want to go out there. <laughs> yeah, actually, um, I did some. Where I went for yum cha before we had this conversation. Ah, uh, amazing. <laughs> Um, So, Salotti, would you be able to share with us any resources that have really assisted your practice? Um, Oh, resources. Mm. They could take any form. Other than YouTube? Uh, YouTube's a great one. Actually, I don't think anyone's brought that up, but that's that's definitely, I feel like, Nicole's one that she goes to constantly. Every now and then I watch things like Tate Shorts or just like I like to hear other artists talking about um, mm. their works. My biggest resource, 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 my biggest resource would be my community mm-hmm. of like friends, like the, uh, who are artists, but also colleagues who really, I have to admit without these, um, great, uh, support networks, potentially I just still wouldn't be working, you know? Yeah. We really help each other out, especially in this, like, writing of applications or talking through ideas. Mm. Like, if you have those resources, if you have these relationships that have lasted, have lasted a long time, mm-hmm. that means that you're talking to people who know your work and what you normally do. So when you step outside that, they can really help you work out if that's, really something that you want to be doing in that way or if it works against what you've been doing and if that's okay with, you know, that kind of you need to have a supportive environment to have that kind of discussion, Mm. to be honest. Um, Gosh, I wish I could say it was anything other than that. Like, I think they're great ones. I think also you should remember is like, like today's invigilator might be tomorrow's like gallery director. <laughs> so mm. like it's important to respect each other. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Totally. The other night at work we had to kind of tell some kids off for drinking vodka in the toilets and I was like, um, 
We can't even pretend we've never done that. I know. Yeah. No, not even close. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I, I feel you. I've done that and I can't be an asshole to you even though I'm we're going to have to kind of Cut like, you off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you have to leave the site. But, yeah. I, but you know, that's we, we've all been there and everyone kind of grows and keeps working in the arts and turns into like someone with, you know, so... Yeah. Yeah, but I should I think say, Kira, that like not everyone stays. Like, if that's you think about true. Uh, how many people that you were in class with are still practicing artists. Mm. Yeah. If you could count that, like that, sometimes you know it, it's different for every year, I guess. But you know, maybe it's only a handful of the people that you knew back then. Yeah. But then again, it's that thing of like maybe some of them have got really strong practices that are not within, you know, just the world that I kind of associate with as well. Um, yeah, it's important too. That are working with other areas of the arts that isn't just kind of <coughs> this scene um, because there is so many other areas as well. There's a lot of like community development kind of stuff as well as, um, you know, teaching as high school teachers or primary school teachers within as an art teacher, and that's still, I think, like contributing to our greater art, you know, world of Australia. Sometimes that's... I feel like there's a lot of different art worlds happening. There is. Like, you know, it's sort of there's a number of different commercial art worlds. There's crossover between that and public kind of worlds. And Yeah, and yeah. And so I don't know about them all. So no. yeah, there's, there's probably quite a few people from my year level that were uh, – Possibly within those worlds, and I can't, I can't say that their practice is any less successful or more successful than my own because I'm just unaware of it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I guess you can't react like because it's hard to work out what success is. But mm. if you were rating success on like the financial or the big shows, it's like you know, there's a lot of people making work in like well-known shows that you just wouldn't make yourself. Because mm. it's not in your interest, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to make that work, so you can't always. I don't think it's necessarily about. Um, I don't know. It's not necessarily about being the best at crafting something, mm. or the best ideas, or I don't think the art world operates on that because there's so many variables. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of shit art as well. <laughs> well, I thought that's what I was trying to imply. <laughs> Kira's really rolling out the explicit on this uh, tag on this podcast today. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Um, so if, um, if you could, if you could uh, travel back through time and give little Salotti some advice uh, when oh, you were just God. starting out. Dress better. Um, okay. <laughs> yep. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, gosh, you know, it's a really different art world to now today than it was when I was little Salotti, and it's also um, like, for instance, there are more artists of color in institutional shows than there was when I came out of art school. Mm-hmm. There are more artists of color and theorists of color. Um, that are taught within the institution than there ever was before. And so back then I think I felt quite alone 
Mm. And now it's like I'm really pleased to see that there's, you know, more kids of colour in art schools, in shows. It's sort of just mm-hmm. um, so I don't know how I would do anything differently. Yeah. Um, but and also I think about the artworks that I've made over the years and I think I had to go through all of those artworks to make the artworks that I make now. So I guess my biggest advice would be to kind of remember in a way you are having going to have to create your own pathways or create your own way of working, like your work ethic, I guess, in the studio but also as an administrator of your own practice and the faster that you can learn to do that, um, that's good. But at the same time, you got to balance that out with actually, you know, learning to make things the way you need to make them for your ideas to function properly. Mm-hmm. And, to, and like just because you have an idea doesn't mean it's a good one. Like if you, yes. if you, keep, talk, <laughs> if you keep talking about that, and the reasonings why you're making something out of the material, make it, or or, or the action that you're taking with your body, the, that's important. Mm-hmm. Mm. And so, like, you've got to learn how to kind of grasp your concepts, understand them from all angles before you can, before you, I don't know, before you can make the works that you, like, it takes time is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's some great advice. Mm-hmm. Mm. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Solidi. This has been yeah, really thanks great. For, thanks for phoning in with us today. And really on a Sunday it. as well. I'm glad. No yeah, sorry, sorry to make you work on your, you know, On my one day, day off. off. <laughs> I'm glad you got to have a yum chat beforehand. <laughs> That's yeah. why I had to go for the yum chat. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no well, problems. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Cheers. Thanks. This episode is recorded on the sovereign land of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land, the Wurundjeri people, and pay respects to elders past, present and emerging. Thanks for listening to ProPrac. You can listen to other episodes and subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can stay up to date with what we're up to on Instagram at ProPrac Podcast or send us an email at propracpod at gmail.com.